Well, today we're going to be talking about hope. Where does it come from? And who delivers it? And uh, uh, I'm going to share with you some dark things about the state of the world, but, uh, <clears throat> but Jesus said, I've overcome the world, right? Yeah, so we're in a different position. So I, we're going to talk about uh, who, who delivers that hope and where, where it comes from and how we can be God's instruments in that regard. But before we do that, I'd like to, to pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for uh, this time. I thank you for these folks and their desire to walk more closely with you, to know you more, and, and to uh, walk more closely with you, to have a more intimate relationship with you, to sense your Holy Spirit's presence from day to day and moment to moment, to be empowered to be your instruments in this world. And uh, Lord, I, I know that nothing of eternal significance will occur this morning in this time unless it's through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we ask that you'd pour out your Spirit on this place this morning, that you'd impress your truth on our hearts, and that you'd shape and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ and into the instruments that you can use in this world. And, and we, we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, uh, some of you who know me know that uh, in a previous life I was a state trooper. And uh, I, I spent 26 years with the state police and retired back in 2000, so it's been some time ago, uh, but I, I, he- I hesitate to say it, but it was 40 years ago that I was a young trooper in, in Brighton. And uh, troopers investigate uh, crimes and other incidents, and on, on a particular day in, in Brighton in the mid-70s, I, I was assigned to uh, dispatched to a, a motel on the, on the report of a death, and my job was to investigate that, that death. It turned out to be a, a, a young woman. It was an apparent suicide, a, a 20-something young woman in a motel room in Brighton. And, of course, you investigate a, a suicide uh, like a homicide. Uh, you don't assume it's a suicide, but you, you um, do all the things a good investigator would do to try to find out what happened in that circumstance. And so I, uh, this was before the days of CSI, so uh, uh, troopers gathered their own evidence. You know, we lifted prints and we gathered trace evidence and, and uh, looked for evidences of intent, like uh, notes, and uh, took photographs and, and all of that, interviewed anybody who might know anything about it. And, and over time, I came to understand that this young woman, her name was Christina, and she had been a a medical student at the University of Michigan, and was very bright and very promising. She was the only daughter of a, a German Catholic immigrant named Magda. And, uh, and Magda had emigrated here after the war. Her husband had been taken by the Russians after the war from their home in Germany. She never saw him again. So uh, Christina was all she had, and she had pinned her, her hopes on her daughter. And her, her daughter's... Uh, Studies had, had uh, not gone well. She'd become discouraged and overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, and, and she'd taken her own life there in that motel room in, in Brighton. Very difficult for her mom to, to accept, obviously, and uh, she was in despair. She'd lost everyone who was close to her. And, and so uh, over time, uh, Jean and I, my wife and I, uh, got to know her. She became a family friend. We came alongside her and uh, spent time with her over the years. And our, our, uh, our kids became the grandchildren that, that she never had. 
and we became close. Well, I investigated many suicides over the years, and always with the same sense of sadness for a life lost. I always wished that I had had 10 minutes uh, before that person made that decision just to speak to them, to speak some hope into their life when they were in despair. I, I always felt like I, I could have given them hope. Well, we live in a culture of despair, don't we? People desperately trying to find meaning in all kinds of crazy ways in life. We, we see that uh, far from decreasing, far from the world becoming an easier place to live, a more encouraging place to live, it's becoming a, a place where more are despairing. And in fact, suicide is increasing. 40,000 people in this country uh, take their life every year. That's four every hour. During this hour we sit here, four people will die. They will despair of life and they will take their own lives. Um, that's up 31% over the year 2000. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death generally. It's the second leading cause of death for those ages 15 to 34. And the World Health Organization estimates that there will be one million suicides in the world this year. That's one every 40 seconds. By the year uh, 2020, they estimate that that will have doubled and there will be a suicide every 20 seconds. Isn't that incredible? Incredibly sad. Depression is also on the increase. And... uh, at least uh, 12 million Americans are, are said to suffer from depression at any one time. Uh, Dr. Stephen Alardi, a, psych- a psychologist who's treated hundreds of depressed folks, uh, says this, even though the antidepressant use has skyrocketed in recent years, the rate of depression in the United States hasn't declined, it's increased. According to the la- latest research, about one in four Americans, about 70 million people, will meet the criteria for major depression at some point in their lives. Ominously, the rate of depression has been on the rise for decades. It's roughly 10 times higher today than it was just two generations ago. Major depression, as you might expect, major depression is often a precursor to suicide. And 15% of those who are suffering from major depression attempt suicide. Women are at three times greater a risk than than our men for some reason. The the risk for ages 15 to 24 has tripled since 1960. Can Christians suffer from depression too? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Not because they're, listen carefully, not because they're unspiritual, not because they have unconfessed sin, not because it's their fault somehow, not because they're walking closely enough, not walking closely enough with God, not because they don't read their Bible and pray enough. It isn't about that. Depression is an illness. And it's no more unspiritual than cancer or back trouble or or anything else. It's an illness that overtakes people and steals their joy and and steals their hope. There are some great Christian men and women down through the centuries who have suffered from depression. Some were William Carey, the great missionary, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, uh, Jean Guyon, a, a woman from the, the uh, 17th century. J.B. Phillips, Abe Lincoln, David Brainerd. Mother Teresa uh, particularly uh, speaks in her biography. Uh, after all the compassion she demonstrated, she felt like she was in darkness for 40 years, she said. 
and 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 so so depressed that she she felt like she couldn't relate to God, and that's a characteristic of depression. You, it, it warps your your sense of your relationship with with God. Depression is not something we choose; it's an illness. It's an illness like cancer, and it requires treatment. The World Health Organization rep, uh, predicts that by 2020, depression will be the second leading cause of disability in the world, second only to to heart disease. Right now, it's the number one reason for social security disability in, uh, in the United States. A New York Times article said recently that um, it costs our economy about a half a trillion dollars. A half a trillion dollars annually is the, is the cost of uh, depression in this country. Why? Why is that occurring? Why is it increasing? Well, that's a complex question. And uh, depression is often rooted in changes in our brain chemistry, almost always, uh, that happen either before or after, profoundly, uh, profoundly discouraging life events in some cases. Uh, 40% of us apparently are, are genetically predisposed toward depression. And uh, there are a lot of family of origin issues. You know, a lot of us carry baggage into adulthood from our families of origin that can be very discouraging. But one of the key factors is, is increased loneliness and isolation. Those are major, defa- major factors for people in, in uh, depression and in, and in suicide. Again, Dr. Olardi says, compared with our counterparts from even a generation ago, we're much less likely to know our neighbors, to invite friends over for dinner, to join social clubs, to participate in a in a local church or synagogue or mosque, or to take part in community sports leagues, bowling, softball, tennis, and so on. We're, we're less likely to get married, less likely to stay married when we do take the plunge. We're also, we also spend less time developing and maintaining friendships. Now, this is really important. We spend less time developing and maintaining friendships. According to a recent landmark study of American social life, half of all adults lack even a single close friend that they can rely on. People are dying of loneliness in our our world. God had it right at creation when he said, Genesis 2.18, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to create somebody that can be a companion for him, that fits him. Uh, God said that for the same reason that solitary confinement is one of the most extreme and punishing forms of of, uh, punishment. It is because uh, loneliness is unhealthy and it is destructive uh, to ourselves as people. You see, to be emotionally healthy, we need at least one other person who knows us and who loves us unconditionally. One other person who knows us and loves us unconditionally. And to be spiritually healthy, we need to be connected to God. God wired us. He made us for connection with Him. God is the ultimate source of hope, and peace, and joy, and love. If we're disconnected from God, those folks who are alienated from God are disconnected from that source of hope, and peace, and joy, and love. Is it any wonder that they're in despair? Then there is the discouraging stuff of life. You know, M. Scott Peck, in in a book that's probably 30 years old now, The Road Less Traveled, uh, said that the first three words in that book are, life is difficult. Life is difficult. He said, if you approach life from any other perspective, 
uh, you're going to be discouraged uh, because uh, even Christians don't get a pass, do we? We don't get a pass on hardship and difficulty and pain in this life. We don't get a pass on depression either. Christians can be depressed. We, true, uh, we grieve over lost loved ones. We grieve over broken marriages, over prodigal kids, over lost jobs, over uh, financial disasters in our lives, unfaithfulness, betrayal by friends, life-threatening diagnosis sometimes are painful for us. And then you add in the general chaos and violence in the world around us right now, it's not surprising that people despair. And it touches all of us. You know, a couple months ago I was substituting in one of the kids' classes. I was uh, teaching the five- and six-year-olds, and uh, it, was, it was fun. And we're, the lesson was on prayer. And I was asking the kids, uh, well, what kinds of things do you, do you pray about? What kinds of things can you pray about to God? And they had all kinds of interesting answers about what you can pray for. And, of course, they pray for their mom and dad. Uh, uh, they pray that their sister will stop being so annoying. You know, they, 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 they pray for their dog. And, and one little girl whispered a, a prayer request to me that I, I couldn't hear. A little blonde girl named Lily, she, she whispered to me something, and I, I couldn't hear it, so I asked her to repeat it. I still couldn't hear it. So I bent down next to her, and she whispered in my ear. And, and she said, she said, I pray that Jesus will hug my mommy and daddy for me in heaven and tell them that I love them. When I could speak again, I said, Lily, I know that if you ask him, Jesus will do that for you. You see, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but she'd lost her mom and dad in a, in a car crash when she was a, a little girl. But she still had hope. She, she had hope uh, that Jesus would do that for her, and she had hope that she would see them again, even at her age. And that's why it's different for us, you see, our Father in heaven is, isn't called the God of hope for no reason. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. The church at the time was upset because uh, people were dying or falling asleep, as Paul says, and, and they, were, we were, they were worried. Well, we thought we were going to live forever. No, Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see? He, he said, we still grieve, but we don't grieve like everybody else. We don't grieve like the people who have no hope. We're not despairing because of what happens to us. It's painful, but we don't despair. There was a nurse uh, a couple years ago when I was undergoing cancer treatments uh, radiation treatments at Sparrow Cancer Center, uh, one of the nurses there uh, said to me, Gary, I, I can always tell who the Christians are. They're, they're the ones with hope. Many others are, are in despair, but the Christians have hope. Well, how does, the, how does the God of hope use our suffering to make a difference for eternity? I'm going to suggest to you five ways. You see, our, our, our suffering is not without Hope, it's not without purpose, it's not without meaning. That's when you, you succumb to despair, when you're suffering and there's no purpose to it. It's, it's random, it's meaningless. Ours is not. First of all, we're going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3-11 to read about that. 
What does the Bible have to say about that? And uh, ordinarily, I would read that to you out of the English Standard Version. I'm a big fan of uh, the ESV Study Bible because of the resources that's in it. But as, as I compared the various uh, translations here, I, I really like the way the NIV, the New International Version, renders this uh, today. So I'm going to read it in that version to you. That's what will be up on the screen as well. It's a thought-for-thought translation as opposed to a word-for-word. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3-11, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can, so that we can comfort others, others, those in any trouble, with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in, through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you shall share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we, get this, this happened so that we would learn not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So, how does God use our suffering? Well, first way is that He recycles our suffering into hope for other people. God comforts us in our suffering in order that we can learn how to comfort other people in their suffering. He teaches us by experience, which is the best teacher, how to access his hope and his joy and his peace through prayer. Romans 15, 13 tells us, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God says to us, if you just ask me for joy and peace in the middle of your suffering, I will give that to you. Joy and peace comes from God. He, he's the original source of joy and peace. We, we, it's not something we can gin up ourselves. We, we can't choose to feel differently about that. He's the source of hope. He fills us with his supernatural joy and peace when we ask him for it in faith so that we literally overflow with that joy and peace and hope in spite of our circumstances. That's what allows us to rise above the circumstances that we're in. And once we experience it, it grows our faith so that we can teach others to trust God in the same way, you see? <coughs> Excuse me. Secondly, God uses our suffering to bring out the character of Jesus Christ in us. God's objective for us is to become Jesus Christ in our world, to, to the people around us. And that's why Paul can say in, in Romans eight twenty eight and 29, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And that good is not our immediate comfort and convenience, is it? Uh, that good is this in verse 29. He says, who have been called according to his purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined, and this is it, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let's not forget that Jesus was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knew about sorrow in his life and about suffering. And so he can teach us, and his character, when it comes out in our life, other people will see Jesus Christ in us, and that's one of God's objectives for suffering, bring us to the end of ourselves. Thirdly, God uses, well, secondly, God uses suffering for character development. Henry Blackaby in the, in the book Spiritual Leadership says this, God can bring character development and personal growth out of any situation. Whether he does so is conditional on people's willingness to submit to his will throughout the process. Not everybody that undergoes suffering comes out of it closer to God, do they? Some are alienated from God, and it all depends on our attitude. Will we yield that up to God or not? Will we submit to whatever he has to teach us? Will we say, Father, I'm not enjoying this, but I'm going to trust you that you've got a purpose in it. That's what he's looking for here. God is sovereign over every life, but those who yield their will to him will be shaped according to his purposes. When the Lord is developing someone, all of life is a school. No experience, good or bad, is wasted. God doesn't squander people's time or suffering, for that matter. He doesn't ignore their pain. He brings not only healing but growth out of even the worst experiences. Every relationship can be God's instrument to fashion a person's character. At times, through our most painful experiences, God does his greatest work. And then God uses our suffering to remind us of our dependence on him and to, and to grow our faith. Uh, Paul said about his own suffering in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10, a passage we read just a moment ago. He, he said, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Some of you have been in that circumstance where you, you've been so oppressed by what you were going through that you despaired of life itself. You thought you'd rather die, uh, but God still has a purpose for you. But that was to make us, this is the purpose, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You see, our human nature struggles to be independent from God. We want to do our own thing, run our own program. In fact, that's why I say, uh, uh, guys especially, that's why I say we don't pray for the same reason we don't ask for directions, do we? We, we, like, to, we like to think we can work it out ourselves. We can figure this out. You know, uh, Give us enough time, we'll figure it out. We, no, it's okay, God, I got this one. Uh, that, that's not how God operates in our lives. He wants us to recognize that, that we need to rely on him for our strength to go through these things and, and to, to ask him for that. He brings us to the end of ourselves for that purpose. God uses our suffering to prepare us to receive eternal rewards. This is not something that's commonly understood. We don't talk about it very often. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about the link between what we are suffering from day to day and, and what will happen in the next life in eternity. He says, so we do not lose heart Though our outer self, our body, for example, sickness, old age, uh, all the things that can attack us, our inner self is, though our outer self is wasting away, our, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Uh, e- even though we're, we may be broken physically, 
uh, we can rise above that. We still experience a joy and a peace sometimes uh, when we're going through it because of God's work in us. Uh, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, we have additional, an additional way of seeing and knowing that the people of the world don't have. And we can trust God because he, he knows that, uh, we know that he, he means only our good. He meets us where we are in our pain, even though our body is sick and broken or we're just emotionally spent and in despair from some tragedy. He gives us what we need to, to look beyond our, our immediate circumstances and our immediate pain and to keep our eyes on him to carry us through whatever it is that we need to endure at the moment. Fifth, God uses our suffering to bring himself glory and draw people to his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, This is why I tell people how you suffer matters for eternity uh, because everybody's watching you. uh, Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What is the treasure we have, folks? Anybody? What's the treasure we have? I'm sorry? Yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah, whenever you're in doubt about a question I ask, a, a, a good guess is Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah, very, very good, Darla. Uh, yeah, the treasure is, is Jesus Christ and, and the joy and the peace that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and what are the jars of clay? Uh, yeah, our, ourselves, our bodies, right? It's what we walk around in. And, and so uh, they're increasingly fragile and increasingly brittle at, as they get older, right? Yeah, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. This is the purpose for that, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, you see? <coughs> We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. That is, our body is wearing out. It's being broken down. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. When you are going through an intense time of suffering and you demonstrate peace and joy, people see the character of God in you. That's how we bring glory to God. I was always mystified. How how do we glorify God with our lives? Well, the way that we do that uh, in the way that we suffer is we allow others to see God's attributes in our lives, uh, his faithfulness, his love, his peace, his joy. When those come out in our lives in a difficult time, when we make visible the character of God in those difficult times, uh, people look at us and and they say, "I, I recognize there's something different about that person. I recognize that they're that their father is God. Those are his attributes. He has the stamp of God or she has the stamp of the Savior on them because I recognize the character attributes from that person. I mentioned I had cancer a couple years ago and I had some surgery and then was at uh, Spiro Cancer Center for radiation for a month and went in for treatments uh, several times a week and and I just sensed, I, I just gave that over to God and said, you know, whatever, whatever you have for me here, Lord, I sense you have some purpose beyond just uh, me here. And so 
I know that if God is good, if he intends only good for me, if he loves me beyond anything I can imagine, and if he is indeed in control, if he's sovereign, if he's indeed in control over everything that happens to me, then what do I really have to worry about? And, and so I went for the, the treatments at Sparrow Cancer Center, and I just sensed that God was going to use it somehow, and I, just, I prayed for sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And when I walked in the, the waiting room there, I, I saw a guy over against the far wall just kind of leaning back like that. He looked like death warmed over. He had on a Harley cap, Harley Davidson cap. And I just sensed the Holy Spirit say to me, uh, he's one of the reasons you're here. And so, uh, you know, I, I spent 30 years on motorcycles too. And I, I, I saw the Harley cap and I thought, well, there's a connection, you know. So I sat down next to him and we started talking. His name was Rick, interesting guy. And, uh, and he, he looked so bad, I didn't, I didn't know whether he was going to live or, or not. He was getting both radiation and chemo at the same time. Showed me a tube he had that he ate through. It was, uh, it was just uh, over the top. Uh, and over time, we became friends. And uh, one of the things I noticed about being uh, with other cancer patients is everybody is open to talking about the gospel. You know, it's a target-rich environment because people are looking for hope, right? If you got hope, they want to know. So... Um, I got a chance to talk to a number of people, but Rick and I got especially close and, and I talked, about, talked about the things of God there. And at one point, I got an email from him late at night. He said, uh, he said, I don't know what it is you've got, but you've got a tremendous peace in the face of this cancer. He said, I, I don't know where it's coming from or, or what you've got, but whatever it is, I, I want it. Would you tell me how to get it? <clears throat> and so I had a chance to talk with him about the things of God and, and about uh, the, the joy and the peace that come through a relationship with Jesus as Savior. I prayed with him for his healing. And God was gracious. And, uh, and Rick not only survived, but he's healthy today. And he's, he's, uh, he's about to retire in several days. You know, we're a couple of old guys that are Facebook buddies, believe it or not. And, and he still owes me a ride on his Harley Davidson, too, <laughs> by the way. But you see, it's not about us. I, I tell everybody uh, who has, uh, one of my friends recently was diagnosed again with uh, cancer. And I, I said, you know, you'll find it's not about you. God is going to use this uh, in someone else's life. Uh, that's the way he always does it. God works through our suffering to reveal himself in us so that other people will come to faith in, in Jesus Christ. Well, what is the hope we have to offer? What reasons do we have to hope? I'm going to share with you some of God's promises. Uh, Mark, uh, one of the questions he received from folks recently was, Somebody said, uh, what about these promises of God? I keep hearing about those. What are those? Well, I'm going to share with you some today that, that, that should give you hope uh, about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. First of all, we've been declared not guilty once and for all and guaranteed eternal life with God. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified, that is, declared not guilty by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So, so one reason for hope is we've been declared not guilty for all time. And, and we're guaranteed eternal life with, uh, with God. Secondly, God's all-powerful. He's on our side. He's always with us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, 
For I am your God. I love that phrase in the NASB, New American Standard Bible. Do not anxiously look about you like, what are you looking around for, God says. I'm your source of strength. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will, surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's always with us and all-powerful. God's promise to uh, free us from fear and worry. Depressed people, if you've been around some, depression touches almost all of us in one way or another. Depressed people cannot depend on their own emotions to determine what their status is with God. Uh, because they don't sense God's presence because of the illness. It, it affects the way that they think. It warps the way that they think. And so we have to help them rely on his word, the absolute truth of God's word. And God says, I promise to free you from fear and worry. This is the transaction. This is the deal he offers us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A conditional promise. If we will do this, this is what he will do. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's a supernatural peace that he will give you when you give your concerns over to him. And this is where we have to help our friends come alongside them uh, because God doesn't want us to live in constant fear and anxiety. This is God's reality. Our, our own reality can be skewed by our emotions. We have to help people adjust back to God's reality, the, the absolute truth of his word. Well, fourth, God has promised to empower us to live out the life and character of Christ in our bodies. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life and I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And uh, God doesn't ask us to try to behave differently. You know, try harder to be better people. Try harder to be holy. Try harder to be uh, whatever. What God, what God says is, I'm prepared to allow the, the, the life of my son to be lived out through you if you'll open yourself up to that, if you'll ask me for that. And, I, and I'll be able to love people through you that you can't love on your own on a, on a human level and, and all the other character attributes that, that we'd like to see in our lives from God. Fifth, God has promised to supply all our needs. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours. You see, it doesn't say he'll help you out a little bit. It says he'll supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, why are you worried? Why are you worried in Matthew 6 about what you're going to eat, what are you going to wear? Why do you worry about that stuff? He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And I'll add all these other things to, the, uh, to you. You won't have to worry about those things. Finally, God has promised to answer our prayers. The great God of the universe, uh, who, who created everything, including us, says that if you will pray, I will answer your prayer. Jesus said this, If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Well, how do we become Jesus to those who are hurting? How does God do that through us? Well, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 6 says very simply this, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. What do we learn about God? I I say to people that uh, reading the Bible, you learn about who God is and how he works in our lives. What do we learn about God, who he is, from this passage? 
but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. What do we learn about who God is there? He comforts us, exactly. He com- God is a God who comforts the downcast. How does he do that? That's the second half. Through people, exactly, through people. Um, and in this case, through Titus. Now, uh, Titus is, is no longer available, is he? No. And, and the, point is, the point is that God is, is comforting other people through each one of us. Uh, Heidi Lopez is a delightful young woman and mom-to-be who's part of this uh, family at New Hope. She happens to also to be a, a hospice nurse. And I talked to her last weekend. I said, Heidi, um, how, do, how, do you, uh, how do you do that? You know, you're dealing with people every day who are dying, who are facing death. And I said, is that discouraging for you? She said, oh, no, not at all. She said that she loves her job. She's a person who just exudes joy. She said, no, I, I love my job because every day I get to comfort patients who are facing death and I know the God who conquers death, you see? So I have hope for them. I, I have good news to share with them, that this isn't the end. Well, how do we, be, uh, how do we prepare ourselves uh, to be used by God in that way? Well, first of all, we stay in touch with God on a daily basis. Uh, we, we spend time daily in his word and, and in prayer to get to know him better and so that he can shape us into the instruments that he can use. The Bible helps us understand who God is how he works in our lives. You need to know that if you're going to come along somebody else, aside somebody else who's in trouble. And my suggestion is memorize a few of these verses that, that I shared with you today that are in, in your study notes so that you can share them, so they have them readily, readily available to share with people who are in trouble, who are, who are hurting. You, you see, in, you can't take somebody to, somebody to some place in your relationship with God that you haven't been yourself. So if your own relationship with God is, is not alive and vibrant from day to day, if you're not in close communication with God, uh, he's going to find it more difficult to use you in a particular situation. You aren't prepared for that. Be a sharp instrument. Walk with God from day to day so that he can use you when the occasion arises. And then start with prayer for wisdom and empowerment. You say, I, I don't know what to say. You know, I'm, com- I'm uncomfortable because I, I don't know how to, how to help that person, how to encourage them. Well, let me tell you something, and I, I do this all the time. And I pray for wisdom, because I don't always know how to help somebody either. But when I ask God for that, I, I ask him for wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. God will uh, give you what you need in the moment. That's what he tells us in Philippians 2.13 here. For it is God who works in you both to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's real stuff. God wants to use you. If you ask him, he will give you what you need. Not only, he will put it in your head. He will give you what you need to say, and he will allow it to come out of your mouth in a way that is helpful to that other person. You see, God promises us that. Well, what are some practical tips that we can use in helping people? I want this to be uh, something that you can use Monday morning. And so... Uh, first of all, to us, uh, uh, do no harm. Well, what not to say to folks who are going through a difficult time? To a person suffering from major depression, uh, we should never say, why don't you just snap out of it? That, that's, not, that's not helpful, is it? They can't snap out of it. It's an illness. They didn't ask for it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. If you, if you really wanted to stop being depressed, you could. 
uh, depressed people already feel unworthy and worthless. So this doesn't help. It just adds to it. What do you have to be depressed about? A, a, a lot of people have it worse than you. Not helpful. Uh, quit wasting time and get back in the game. If you were a stronger person, you wouldn't be depressed. It, it has nothing to do with being strong or weak. It can impact any, any one of us. Here's a, here are some that have happened within the church. that uh, I, I call this uh, ministering guilt and, combination, uh, guilt and condemnation. Uh, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving, right? It, you must have unconfessed sin in your life or you wouldn't be depressed. Are, are you sure you're a Christian? If you had enough faith, uh, you wouldn't be depressed. If you just read your Bible and pray more, you, know, you wouldn't be depressed. Uh, depressed people already feel alienated from God. And, and that, kind of, that kind of advice is not helpful at all. If you had more willpower, you could lift yourself out of this depression. Many depressed people, are, uh, the enemy is inertia. Uh, they can't, some, some can't even get out of the fetal position to get out of bed in the morning, uh, let alone um, fend for themselves in other ways. Uh, you're just sad over losing whatever. You'll get, you'll get over it. Again, not helpful. How about a person who's grieving, lost a loved one, a job, a relationship? I know how you feel. Oh, no, you don't. Uh, you may have gone through the same, a similar kind of experience, and you can empathize, but every person's different, and you don't know how that other person feels. And so, so don't say that. It, it's for the best. Well, it doesn't feel that way right now to the person who's suffering, does it? You shouldn't feel that way. You should never tell people how they should feel or, or shouldn't feel. Uh, we, we can't do that. Our, our role as a comforter is to validate what they are feeling and to help them uh, to listen to them as they share with us what they are feeling. Uh, you, you need to start looking to the future. Quit holding on to the past. Uh, grieving takes time. It takes whatever time it takes. Sometimes you have to cycle back through that as some of you uh, no, over the months and years. Every cloud has a silver lining. Well, not really. At, at least, at least, and fill in your own ending. At least he didn't suffer. At least you had 20 years together. At least he went quickly. None of that is helpful to people who are grieving. Everything happens for a reason. God must have a purpose in this. We Christians are good at this. And uh, that is not at all helpful. Never try to explain God. There is a reason why God said, as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. It's because we don't have the horsepower to understand what God's purposes are in any particular catastrophe that happens. So don't try to explain God. That never ends well. God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. Well, I can't handle this right now. Even when we don't understand it, we shouldn't question God's will. It's okay for people who are grieving and in pain uh, to be angry with God, to question what God is doing. God can handle that. And, and he would rather they were talking to him than, than not. Uh, try not to think about it. A person who's grieving, sometimes it's all they can think about at the moment. Time heals all wounds, maybe, but I'm, I'm wounded right now. And, and that isn't helping. Everything will be all right. Well, it sure doesn't look like it from this, from this perspective right now when I'm in pain. So what can we say? Well, to a person who's grieving... How can we interact in a way that's helpful? Uh, just simply say, it, it, it's good to see you. I'm so sorry for your loss. Give a hug or a touch on the shoulder if that's appropriate. And, and tell me what's happening and tell me how you're holding up. And then listen and reflect back their feelings. Validate their feelings. Uh, acknowledge uh, their feelings and, and ask how you can help and how you can pray. Just your presence there is, is powerful.
And listening is powerful. And then pray with them if it's uh, appropriate in that context. Release God's power. You notice at the end of the passage we had today, Paul said, uh, help, help us by your prayers. You know, uh, pray for each other. So how do we help those who are, are grieving? First of all, the ministry of your presence. And grief and depression can certainly overlap, can't they? Uh, but first of all, the ministry of your presence. Most people run the other way when somebody's grieving or depressed. They want to stay away from that. We're uncomfortable. We don't know what to say. The ministry of your presence is powerful. It's healing. It's therapeutic. Be there for the person. Listen much. Talk little. Be okay with silence. Make it safe for them to share their raw emotions, even if they're uncomfortable or irreverent. Help them work through the grieving process and repeat that as necessary as they cycle through it. Laugh and cry with them. Let them lead the conversation. Pray with and and for your friend. Use the verses I gave you. Pray the peace of God into their lives. Uh, Use scripture when it's appropriate. And I've left you some examples of those scriptures that will bring peace and healing. And then make sure they're safe. Especially when a person's deeply depressed or or when they're grieving and they're just overwhelmed by despair. Uh, Sometimes I'll sense that that person is not safe. And I'll, I'll say, are you safe? And, and I'll add, uh, have you thought about taking your own life? And, and sometimes they'll say, well, I, I have thought about that, actually. We'll talk about that. And, and make sure that they're safe in that situation. Uh, demonstrate the, the love of Christ by meeting an immediate need. Uh, you're doing that by being there, but sometimes they need some house cleaning. They need a ride. They need uh, a casserole or whatever it is. Those tangible, uh, they need a card from you or a call from you, an expression of, your love and concern, or whatever it is, a tangible expression of the love of, of Christ. And then with folks who are depressed, again, the ministry of your presence. Be there for them. And it's hard to be there sometimes for depressed people because they repel people around them. Uh, they don't feel good about themselves, and sometimes they don't feel good about the uh, people around them either. So it, it's harder to be a friend to somebody who's deeply depressed sometimes. But they need that. Uh, that's what they need more than anything else in many ways. Begin with love and acceptance and understanding. Uh, Depressed people can be self-absorbed. That's the nature of the illness. So the relationship requires patience and it requires time. Listen and and try to understand what they're feeling. Let them talk. Educate yourself so you can intelligently support and encourage them toward recovery. Uh, depression uh, needs to be understood. If you're around a depressed person and you're going to help them, you need to know something about depression. I put some resources in your, in your notes that will help you with that. Pray with and for them. Remind them again of the love that God has for them and the peace and joy that he has for them. That's the reality. And what they're seeing is not uh, the reality at the moment. Again, make sure they're, they're safe. Take action if they're not uh, to, to make sure they're okay. Get them professional help. If someone is suffering from a clinical depression, uh, a major depression, they need professional help. Yes, it's important for you to be their friend. It's important for you to be their friend and get them the help they need. Sometimes they can't do that because of their own inertia. So, so you can find the name of a, a psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, uh, whatever it takes, so they can get the counseling and or the medication that they need. That's very important because they can't dig out of that hole by themselves in many cases. And then agree on expectations during recovery. Have a plan. And if, if uh, you're going to be with that person while they're recovering from depression, there are things that they can do.
toward their own recovery. There are things that you can do to support their recovery, and, uh, and you need to be able to do that. Well, there are a couple opportunities immediately here to make a difference, and one is the Stephen Ministry. Some of you have heard of that. It's a ministry that, that uh, we're going to implement here at New Hope, and it trains people to come alongside other people with comfort and encouragement and hope. And we're going to have an informational meeting on the Stephen Ministry. And uh, if you're interested in becoming one of those Stephen Ministers, one of those persons who's trained to do that, then uh, it's December 1, Monday night, 7 o'clock, downstairs, Fellowship Hall. And, and we'll communicate with you about that. Also, uh, in back, uh, Caitlin Ostrander is our representative for Compassion International. If, if you're interested in making a difference in the life of a child on the other side of the world right now, uh, changing the whole trajectory of their life uh, by coming alongside one of those children. Uh, Caitlin can help you do that at the table in back. I'm going to close with a short story and I'm going to turn you loose. It illustrates what we're talking about here today. You know, the Romans in the second century, the time period in which we're talking about, in which these scriptures were written, the, the, uh, the Roman culture was, was cruel. And it was merciless. And very often, uh, Romans would, would leave their own family members if they were sick or disabled. There was no mercy there. The, their gods were, interestingly, their gods were cruel and uh, merciless, and they reflected that in their culture. So the Romans had a notable lack of compassion for their own sick and disabled. History tells us of a letter from a Roman commander who was serving in 2nd century Antioch. He, he wrote a letter back to his superior about a, a great plague that had devastated Antioch. He reported that the plague had killed so many thousands in the city that he had pulled his soldiers out of Antioch for their own safety. The city officials had left. Any medical people that were there had pulled out. Even family members had abandoned their own family members in order to escape this plague. He reported that a curious thing was happening, however. He he said members of a religious sect had stayed behind to care for the sick and dying at great personal risk to themselves. When he'd asked why they chose to stay, they had replied that it was out of their great love for their God. He asked their God's name. It was Christos, the Christ. And Antioch was the first place where you and I and the Christians of that day became known as as Christians or little Christ's. Friends, that the call on our lives is the same today as the call on their lives was. It's, it's walking the talk. It's sacrificially living out the love and the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ to those people who are hurting around us. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Father, you are the source of all hope and peace and comfort and love and, uh, and you long to live out that love of your Son, Jesus Christ, through each of us. And so I ask you, Lord, that, uh, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit for that purpose, that, that you'd empower us uh, to live out the love of Christ when we go into our workplace, into our school, into our family, uh, every other place where we intersect with people, Lord. We know that those relationships are by design. And we ask you to make us sensitive to recognize those divine appointments when somebody comes into our life and and you desire us to minister this this hope and peace uh, that we've been so blessed with. 
And, and we ask all this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.